Well, hello, CMYK community, and welcome to another CMYK Talk podcast. If you're just joining us joining us for the first time, <clears throat> excuse me, want to say welcome to you. Uh, we're so excited that you would cho- you have chosen to just jump in and be a part of this conversation and talk. We as a community um, put out these talks because we believe that there are things that matter and an invitation for us to engage in a more beautiful uh, interaction with the world, people, stuff, and the divine around us. So all of this is meant for us to hopefully see this stuff go somewhere and that we are choosing to live a more beautiful life in our relationships and in our action with interaction with all things. So I'm so glad that you're choosing to be a part of this. We last week just jumped into a series of talks that were entitling The Art of the lament. And so if you haven't listened to last week, no big deal. Uh, You're more than welcome to do that. It'll give you some good groundwork of where we're going today. But um, we're dealing with this idea of lament, because as you probably have seen, there's a lot going on in our world and in our country and just in our own personal lives. And it can just feel like there's so many questions and frustrations and moments where we're scrolling through our newsfeed and we just want to throw our phone or get so angry or sad or depressed, whatever it is, and whatever your response is, there's just a lot going on. And how are we to process this? And how are we to deal with this? Because many of us have seen in our own lives or in others' lives like a tendency to deny or pretend away the reality of what's happening or to bring some kind of narrative that just fixes everything. But there's this part of us that goes, man, that doesn't feel like it's really fixing much at the end of the day. And so we see that there's this ancient text in the Old Testament of the scriptures, the Bible. And this text is known as Lamentations. And it's this text that invites us not to pretend, not to deny, not to bring some kind of narrative to just wish away everything, but to actually jump into lament, to jump into processing and dealing with the hurt, pain, and brokenness all around us. And so that's what we're doing as a community, is trying to learn and practice together what this art of the lament is and what it's looked like for thousands and thousands of years that maybe in our own processing of the world around us, there would be some invitation here today in 2017. And so before we jump into it, I just want to quickly say thank you so much to those of you that were a part of our gatherings this past Sunday for this first uh, talk in our series. It was so beautiful as we just wrestled with this idea that lament starts with speaking, bringing words, vocalizing what's really going on. Many times we can have a tendency to feel something or see something, and we that's as far as we take it. But lament begins, healthy lament begins when we actually speak it out loud. And so we practiced that last week, and it was just so beautiful to see so, um, so many varied, whether it was personal or global or localized to our country, our city, just so beautiful as a community to come together and be able to speak, man, here's what's really going on. Here's some heavy, weighty things that we're dealing with. And to know that we're not alone and to know that, man, this is a space in a community where we can lament together. So thank you so much to those that were a part of those gatherings or some of you reached out after listening to the podcast and just such beautiful work that's happening. I, I want to say again that <laughs> the point of this series is not to just bum everybody out. So if your life is going great and everything is happy, go lucky. And man, you just had the greatest week ever. Way to go. Like I really am excited and honestly enthusiastic about <laughs> the beauty of your life. Our goal is not to just, you know, again, be a Debbie Downer uh, uh, through this this whole series of talks, but 
again, just realizing there is some reality to some pain and what's happening, and and let's figure out a healthy way to process this. So again, I hope your life is going great, and I'm, my goal is not to bum you out with this talk, but to maybe in the midst of when life does bum you out, here's what we can do. And as I talk about or thought about this series for this these past few months and have kind of been preparing for it, I just got to be honest, this talk is... This specific one this week is is really kind of everything for me, and there's so much behind what I'm talking about that has been really transformational and important for my life, and I just, I hope this is good, as good a stuff as it is for you as it was for me. Today we're jumping into Lamentations chapter 2 and looking at this section of this lament in this text where, again, these, these people have lost everything. It's a group of people, the Israelites that have lost their belief system. It's crumbled to the ground, and they don't know what they believe, and they don't know who God is or where God is or what the heck is going on on any kind of level of the divine. They've lost their family structure and dynamics. They've literally lost people around them, and they not, they're not sure who they are in the world and how to process what's happening. And there are people that have lost all their political power and everything they once held dear as a country and a nation and a people group. It's now the laughing stock of the rest of the world. There's a weight, a pain, a hurt that's happening as we see these narrators bring voice and words to this lament. That's what Lamentations is. It's the people of Israel in this place of exile and hurt and pain and questioning so much. And there are these voices that are speaking the reality of what's going on. And today I want to look at this text in Lamentations chapter 2, starting in verse 10, because I think it points to something that's so important. It says this, The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. The narrator says that my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. This is a powerful image. Don't miss the weight of it. Infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. And they cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom? It goes on and says, what can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea, who can heal you. This is a picture that's being painted where babies, infants are fainting, dying on their mother's bosom. And the narrator's looking into the situation saying, what can we do? This is too much. This is, this is too great and too grand of destruction to ever think that something could actually heal this much pain, this much wound. Wound. It goes on and says, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. In other words, your leaders have led you astray. 
All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. And they say, is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? In other words, people are walking by and it's become a mockery of this city to say, yeah, this was a great place. Yeah, this is, this is beautiful. This is awesome because it's so apparent that it's not. There's something really interesting that's happening with this text that we need to talk about if we're going to deal with not only what is Lamentations, but what does healthy lament look like. Yes, these are different voices and viewpoints that are speaking about and looking in on destruction in their lives around them. But more than just one person giving their opinion, or more than just this idea affecting a very, very small group of people, there's a literary genre that this type of writing fits within historically. That we can go to this part of the world at this time in history and see that there are other people groups and other belief systems that actually have writings similar to these kinds of writings that we find in Lamentations. And the literary genre that's been given is known as a city lament. It's a lament over a city. So again, historically, we can look and see that there are these other writings in other areas in this part of the world, that there's the lamentation over the destruction of Ur. There's the lamentation over the destruction of Summer and Ur. These are somewhat common writings, a group of people that are dealing with the destruction of their city. It's a city lament. And there's all these forms and structural things that these texts need to hit to make sure to fit within this idea of a city lament. And Lamentations does this. It's a lament over a city. Why would that matter? My wife and I, just a couple months ago, decided that it was time for us to purchase a new car. We'd been driving the one that we have for a while, and we're getting ready to take a big road trip, <laughs> and we're a little uh, fearful that our 200,000-mile car uh, might have some issues potentially getting out to the Oregon coast. So we just decided, okay, I think it's time for us to pony up and purchase a new car. So we did our shopping. We kind of looked online at all the different options, looked at cabin size, safety ratings, gas mileage, torque units whatever, and found that there was a specific car that we liked the looks of, we liked, you know, the reviews of, all of these different things, and it just felt like Matt and Kate Blakesley kind of car. So we decided we were going to get a Subaru Outback. So we went to the lot, drove a bunch of different cars, ended up finding the one that we wanted, got a good price on it, all blah, 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 blah. And hours later, as that process goes, hours later, we drove off the lot. And something crazy happened the minute I drove this car off the lot. I started to see that Billings has so many Subaru Outbacks everywhere. It seems like everyone drives a Subaru Outback. And all of a sudden, my eyes were totally aware of the multitudes upon multitudes of Subaru Outbacks. Now, Kate and I kind of made this decision in a vacuum. It wasn't like we felt like, what's the most popular car out there in Billings, Montana? We just felt like, man, this is the most Blakesley car out there. This kind of fits our lifestyle and who we are the best. So let's go for it. <laughs> but we we started to see Subaru Outbacks everywhere. What's happening there? Because it's not like we bought a Subaru Outback and that means that everybody else in the same week went and bought a Subaru Outback and all of a sudden they're there and they weren't there before. That's not it at all. They were always there. It's just that our brains, our eyes did not recognize and see what was happening. 
This is a phenomenon that's been come to be known as the Batter-Mainhoff phenomenon or frequency illusion. And basically the idea is this. You've probably experienced it before, whether it's you purchasing a new car or hearing a new band for the first time and then all of a sudden it seems that band starts popping up everywhere, wherever you go. It's this idea that our brains love new information, taking on ownership of new things. And so when we experience something new and we kind of take ownership of that thing, all of a sudden our brains and its receptors are now looking for it and they perceive it differently within the world. In other words, I didn't change my surroundings as far as Subaru Outbacks in Billings, Montana. In fact, I could drive, I noticed I could drive from my house to where I work, Art House Cinema, which is about eight blocks, and count 10 different Subaru Outbacks many mornings. I didn't change that. I didn't do anything about that. All I did was took ownership of a Subaru Outback, and in that ownership, my brain chemistry has changed the way that I see the world around me, and I'm noticing things that I had never noticed before. This is the Batter-Mainhoff phenomenon. And this, I believe, is what we see happen with this thing known as a city lament. Because there's, again, so much weight and pain and hurt that these people are processing in these texts that they're trying to deal with. And it's in the midst of dealing with this that we see there was an ownership of this city for these people. In other words, they had placed their brains, their heads, and their lives in a position to recognize and see the reality of what was going on in their city all around them. And because of that, we have these texts of a city lament where they see it, feel it, and speak of it. That a healthy lament starts in taking ownership of, in the text of Lamentations, your city. Why would this be important for healthy lament? Well, one of the things that I found fascinating within human culture development and history is to see that all of us start out as individuals. It's how we see ourselves in the world, that we have our needs, our wants, our desires, me, 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 me. Some of us call that being a three-year-old that you just can't see outside yourself. It's just what you want all of the time. But we understand we kind of grow out of that, at least that's the goal, and we grow out of it to see ourselves within some kind of family unit and family structure, that there's these immediate people around us that matter and are significant and important. And then from there, what we see historically is these families, they started to group together into tribes or communities, and they begin to live life caring for one another, seeing one another, and protecting one another. I think we can understand that these tribes and communities eventually evolved and what we see are cities begin to spring up and large collections of tribes and communities now have a name. This is the city of this. Cities then grew into nations, collections of nations with one leader or one body of government. Again, expanding their territory and expanding their reach and the different types of people, but many times these nations, they would have a common language, a common form of currency, these kinds of things taking place. But it was everybody saying, this is my nation. And last but not least, we have this thing known as the internet, connected culture, social media, that has brought to rise this idea of globalism. 
In other words, we've always been on this progression as humanity to open ourselves up to more and more of what's happening around us, our family, tribes, cities, now nations, now the globe. And this is really, really good and beautiful that there's the potential for me now, for the first time in history, to live in Billings, Montana, but to have actual understanding and knowledge of what's taking place on the other side of the world this morning, that I could look up and see what's happening. I can see what's happening in Egypt. I can see what's happening in Asia. I can see what's happening in South America. Wherever I want to find information and be connected to, I have the ability to do that. This is a beautiful and a good thing on many, many levels. But one of the fascinating things that's taken place is globalism, as good as it is, has caused us to now see things and experience so much hurt, pain, hunger, and loss to a level and degree that we never have throughout the rest of human history. Because all of a sudden, not only are we knowing what's going on in Egypt, not only are we knowing what's going on over in Africa, but all of a sudden, we hear and we feel the hunger, and AIDS, corruption, injustices that are taking place all over the world. And there's something really interesting that's taking place in our brains because of this. At some point, for many of us, and for many people on planet Earth, what's happening is all of this information, all of this hurt and pain, all of this loss and hunger, it can be overwhelming for us. And we feel like there's nothing I can do to actually be a part of fixing any of this. And so it's in this moment we find ourselves escaping back down this chain from globalism to nations to cities, tribes, to families, and we escape back into ourselves because the world becomes so big and so difficult to process. And what we see is that we now spend a good majority of our time, energy, and life focused on me, my wants, my needs, my desires, and my thoughts. I mean, think about it. 50, 60 years ago, we saw neighborhoods be these places where, again, there were communities, tribes, if you will, of people that you knew each other's names, you knew what was going on in their lives, you were taking care of one another as needs came up, and there's been this transition culturally where our homes are no longer the place that we live life in tribes, communities, and neighborhoods, but our homes are simply the place we escape from the rest of the world. We don't know our neighbors like we used to. And in that, I wonder, are we not taking ownership of anything. Maybe this has happened for you in your own life and story, but for me, something really interesting took place a few years ago when I chose to marry Kate, because obviously Kate has her own family and her own story that has led her to the place that she is. And in her own family, she's got two sisters and a mom and a dad and aunts and uncles and cousins. And we were, when we were dating, obviously I was meeting all of these incredible people and hearing parts of their stories. And yeah, it was a lot. I mean, she's got a large family, so it kind of took its own textbook just understanding who's who and where everybody fits in this picture. But 
I would hear these stories and it would just kind of be like, oh, that's interesting or, you know, I'm sorry that that happened, whatever it was. But the day that I got married, I stood on a platform in front of friends and family and said, Kate and I are becoming one. In that moment, something transitioned because her family now became my family. That history and those stories now became my history and story. And I was taking ownership of it. And so now when something happens within her family, rather than just being this kind of obscure, oh, I didn't know that that took place, or that's interesting or fascinating, or I'm sorry that that happened, now that's my sister. Now those are my parents. Now that's my aunt, uncle, cousins. And I'm taking ownership of them, and so I feel it. And I feel like there's a responsibility that I bring as a part of this family in the way that I'm not only hearing about it, but choosing to interact with it and care for it. It's the batter mainhoff phenomenon. This is now mine. To speak a lament is to take ownership of the things that you are actually lamenting and dealing with, not to just speak as someone who knows about it, but to say, no, I feel it. I see it. I'm speaking about it because this matters to me. As we look at the community, the city of Billings, where most of us as CMYK choose to call home, there's a reality of what's going on. That just, you know, some quick understandings of where we are. There are 600 homeless people in our city every day. There are 80 families of that 600 that are homeless. They don't have a place to lay their head. That's kids moms, and dads. One in eight people in our community are impacted by hunger. They don't have enough food to eat. In Billings, Montana, there are 70-plus victims of sex trafficking that have been found in the last two years alone. Those are just the ones that we found. 70-plus people in Billings, Montana have been sex trafficked. As of July 2017, there are 900 active child abuse and neglect cases on file. That's 900 kids that have been abused and neglected in my city. We expect to finish 2017 with 600 higher cases than normal. We are on an upward trend of the number of kids that are being abused and neglected. In our county, Yellowstone County Detention Center has space for 286 inmates. And it's probably no surprise to anybody that it regularly tops out at 500 plus. We have an incarceration problem in our county. Montana, our state, my state, has the highest child and teen death rate in the U.S. And on average, one person dies by suicide every 32 hours in Montana. Maybe you've seen in the news that Montana has a $227 million budget shortfall due to expensive wildfires and reduced revenue from things like oil, coal, and agriculture. And while this might not matter too much to you, what this is causing is it's threatening programs like early child intervention that assist Montana kids with special needs. This program is getting gutted and potentially goes away. These kids in need, these families that don't have the resources to care for these children are gone in my state. In my city, there are still many, many stories of strong discrimination and racism based on sexuality, 
gender, and race. And in my city, there's a Native American prejudice and judgment that's rampant in our everyday lives, in the way we talk. And for many of us, that's just the way it is. There's brokenness and pain in my city, and to understand healthy lament is to ask the question, do I see it? Have I taken ownership of it? Do I feel it? And do I speak of it? One of the reasons this has <clears throat> been so powerful and profound for me is because I've had to realize, and I must confess, that I've spent the majority of my life going back down this scale to individualism and finding my life just worried and concerned about me and my thoughts and my beliefs and where I'm at. I've been a part of a belief system that has a tendency to just live in that individualized world within Christianity of just focusing on me and my sin and in my relationship with God. And the, the majority of my focus is on making sure I don't go there or I don't say those things or I don't look at those things. And, and that's the judgment. That's the value that I'm bringing of my life and how I'm doing in this individualized role that I have in the world compared to taking on lament for my city, taking ownership of this is my neighborhood and this is my town. And I must repent of it. And I must repent of it because this is, this is not just something that we find in an obscure passage in the Old Testament in Lamentations. This is actually what we see in the life of Christ as well. That he was someone who would show up in towns and cities. We have all of these examples in the Gospels. When they tell the story of Jesus, he was someone that would show up and there would be crowds of hurting, broken, messy people that are there to meet him. And many times we see that even when he's trying to escape the crowds, his response is this. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He had co passion with them. In other words, Jesus arrives into this city with all of these hurting people and all of these issues, and his heart is one that says, I'm taking ownership of this. His actions are one that says, I'm in this with you. What can I, what can we do about this? Not someone that lives in this individualized spirituality, but someone that sees and takes ownership of that city and that town. On top of that, I I think it's really important to note that when we see the New Testament writings and the formations of these churches, these letters were written to these churches, and these letters are known, you may know, as Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, these kinds of books in the Bible. They're letters written to these churches, and these churches, they don't have cool, sexy names like CMYK or RGB. There's no names like Hope This or Faith That. It's simply a letter written to that community of people, and it's named after that city. And so much of the text and writing has to do with the specific intricacies, needs, and things that are going on in that city. That's what these letters are, and that's what the churches, these communities were dealing with. 
that from the very beginning, following Christ and picking up his example has been one where we take ownership of the place that we live and we choose to engage in the hurting brokenness around us. And we have these city laments where we are seen and recognizing things that maybe nobody else has seen and recognizing, and we choose to have co-passion, compassion. And that's what the church is about as it, at its most fundamental level. And on top of all of this, there's so many scholars and theologians that look at this idea of Scripture and see that there's this overarching narrative that God, the divine, is up to bringing shalom, is the word that they would use. It's this Hebrew word that means peace. That what God is up to is bringing shalom to the world, peace. And it's a broader word than maybe how you and I would define peace. It's the rightness of all things. This is our work and our engagement with the divine to make right those broken things. But to do this, we must take ownership of it. We cannot get caught in this individualized spirituality that is so rampant in our culture right now. We must be people that see outside of ourselves to see the need, to feel it, and to choose to speak about it and engage it. This is what healthy spirituality looks like. I love the way that Randy Woodley talks about this shalom. He says this kind of peace shalom, it's represented by active and engaged communities. Shalom is communal. It's holistic and tangible. He says there is no private or partial shalom. The whole community must have shalom or no one has shalom. And shalom is not for the many while a few suffer, nor is it for the few while many suffer suffer. This is what this is all about. Is us as CMYK, this community, you, wherever you are and whatever is going on, choosing to ask the question, do I take ownership in anything or am I just stuck in this individualized approach to the world? Because there is so much going on, but we are invited to engage and take ownership of something. And so, where are you? And have you taken ownership of the place that you live? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know what's going on in your city? And are you choosing to be a part of that? Not to be someone that has all the reasons why it's their problem and their issue. Not to be someone that has all the answers and if they would just do things like you want them to do things. But to be someone that has co-passion, compassion for and with them. For us as CMYK, we kind of have this unique approach to how we've chosen to go about this. Many times within kind of church movements lately, the the tendency is to say, well, we want to do something. And so you start a program or a ministry a certain department of the church, and people are hired to start this thing, to engage in that. And that can be really good and beautiful. That's fine. But for us, we've chosen to do this unique approach to say, there's so much hurting, pain, and brokenness in Billings in our community, yes, but there's also some really incredible organizations that are working to confront that and have compassion and deal with that. And so rather than as a community, us reinventing the wheel and putting a lot of time, energy, and resources in that, Our hope and our desire is to say, we'll get together and we'll gather on Sundays 
and kind of recenter and focus ourselves. We'll listen to podcasts possibly that are going to stir these things on in our thoughts and lives. But then our whole goal is not to get more people to show up on Sundays. Our whole goal is to leave these Sunday gatherings, to set down this podcast, and to go engage in the hurting in our community, to find organizations like the Crisis Center, Men's and Women's Family Centers, Tumbleweed, the Food Bank, Angelus Piazza, Nursing Homes, Assisted Living Centers, Drug and Rehab Treatment, Healthcare Issues, whatever it is. All it takes is a Google search to find people and programs that are doing really good work and that we would choose to engage as followers of Christ and as a community, as a church that is choosing to lament in a healthy way because it starts and it's found with ownership. To help in this, um, we've put together a document that uh, Chris, one of the people on staff at CMYK, has just done a good job of kind of finding a lot of uh, different areas of need in our community, things that are going on. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. This is not everything, but it's just the start of helping us potentially see some things because we take ownership of it and, and trying to trigger that batter Mainhoff syndrome in our own minds, that this is my city and to see what's really going on. And so if this document is something you're interested in, you can go to our website, cmykcommunity.com, and there's a link to it. Download it. There's links in that to these different organizations and thing, and people that are doing some really, really great work. And we would just invite you, as a part of the CMYK community, as a follower of Christ, as someone that's choosing to go about spirituality in a healthy way, to download this document, read it, feel it, and be a part of engaging it. People are the city, and people are the church, and shalom is not found for our cities or for our church until everyone has found shalom. So my hope and my prayer is that you would be one that is found engaging this kind of lament and taking ownership of something, somebody outside of yourself and seeing this shalom found all around. I love you. And if there's anything that we can do for you, I I hope that you would let us know, whether it's through social media, whether it's uh, through our website or just coming on to a Sunday gathering and connecting with us. If there's anything we can do, we really mean it when we say that we're here for you. But may we be a community that now sets this down and goes and takes ownership of our city and lament where we need to lament and celebrate where we need to celebrate, but we do not get caught in our own individualism. Hope you have a great week, and we'll be back next week with more on this idea of the art of the lament.